Dime People's Podcast. Nick Harold of the Redskins Blaster and Joshua Johnson are here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. Why are you going to the airport? Flying somewhere? Out of the sixth day, create the football player. And fans paid money to watch them hurt. And that was good. On the seventh day, they all played football. Shoot you, sack monster! Shoot you, sack monster! Hey! Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Um, that two-second clip of about the airport from Dumb and Dumber, I don't know, brings a tear to my every time. I know, it's, I know it's just a simple statement. But, uh, that was followed by a clip from one of my favorite and probably one of the more underrated football movies, uh, All the Right Moves, starring Mr. Tom Cruise. Regardless how you feel about him now, that movie is awesome. And one of my favorite things about that movie is the high school quarterback is named Rifleman. I mean, what a great name for a quarterback. But anyway, this is the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick Hale to the Redskins. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. I'd just like to wish you and everybody out there a happy unofficial start to summer. I mean, other than the lack of football, it really is the greatest season, right? It is, and I'm really glad it's a cool and breezy 70 degrees here because my air conditioning decided to stop working in my house over the weekend. So (laughs) Um, we're doing the show uh, Tuesday today because I will be painting my kitchen tomorrow, hopefully in an air conditioned home. But anyway, uh, just to to let you guys know too, we will not be on next week, but we'll come back June 15th uh, with some, probably some amazing guests and some, Dynasty dilemmas and all that, all that fun stuff. A little bit of a downtime NFL season-wise because you know the one one month of the year is the last month of May, but June seems to be the one month where NFL doesn't dominate headlines. But who knows? Who knows what could happen? So maybe Colin Kaepernick will get traded or something. We'll see. But I'm sure we'll get more on that on mid-June when we come back to join you guys here in two weeks. But today uh, we call on the show kind of rookie. Draft, startup stuff, potpourri, just kind of picking up the pieces that have that we've missed missed during the month of May, and doing a little more draft grading here and there. Get some get you people updated on some IDP only stuff and some two QB drafts. Nick's gonna rate draft. Nick's going to grade one of my startups, um, and then of course we're gonna have Nick Rants and Dynasty Dilemma as we pit the two top rookie tight ends against each other. That's how we're going to start, actually. But I, And I do want to mention, I also talked about the best number 37, and I'm really glad I did my homework this week on there, because I would have, if you would have, if we would have missed this one particular player, I would have been so furious at myself, because one of my favorite players of all time. But anyway, we will get to that after a bit. But today, we have our Dynasty Dilemma as we pit the two top rookie tight ends against each other, Hunter Henry versus Austin Hooper, excuse me. And uh, I had the chance to go first. I chose Mr. Hunter Henry. And so we'll play the music and we will debate these two rookie tight ends. One moment. 
Why are you going to the airport? Flying somewhere? Uh, I can't help myself. Um, anyway, I I have I have said on this show many times that I think Austin Hooper could have the most impact early of any tight end. I do still believe that, but I but this is called Dynasty Dilemma for a reason. I'm sure Nickel pound home his disgruntledness over the non-emergence of Ladarius Green as Antonio Gates' backup. But, like I said, this is a dynasty dilemma. We want to figure out how these players are going to be in the future, not just as rookies. Gates' Gates's back was so bad. And, oh, Gates, but Gates, by the way, excuse me, is older than Sin. Now, he was so desperate enough last year to ingest a banned substance to enable to continue to play. So I don't so don't try to tell me Gates is going to be around two or three years from now. Hunter is the future in a tight end centric scheme. And he's already a well rounded player. But can he block, you ask? Well of course he can block. He comes from the Arkansas Razorbacks. And if someone tells you that he can't explain you should ask them to explain how on earth he got on the field for Arkansas if he can't block. He moves with grace and precision in his routes. He caught 51 balls last season compared to Hooper's Hooper, who had 74 in just two seasons at Stanford. Hooper's so just two full game, two full seasons played at Stanford. Just, Hooper's just a little bit raw. I like his I like his chances as a rookie, but we'll see how he develops. Hooper did come from a pro style system, but he was simply underutilized. Thus, his route tree is very limited. Henry can split out wide and carve up territory in the slot, as well as block better than Gates, who, given his injury history, will certainly not be an inline tight end this season. But, you know, again, with I think what's being talked about with uh, Henry is he's, he's there's a lot of fan first surrounding him during the whole draft process. It hasn't really hasn't really been dissuaded. I think he's either been one or two for everybody most of the draft process. And he's probably, you know, Bill Latin even called him one of the mo- one of the more important tight ends to come out here within the last within the for a while basically one of the more important tight ends to come out that he's just being met with with that much fanfare. Um Hooper, you know, he does lack he lacks he lacks a lot of explosiveness. Um, also had an 11% drop rate, according to Alan Satterley in his rookie profile. So that's something that is concerning to me, even when he's getting chances to drop the balls. Uh, Hunter is certainly a great great mismatch player. Um, and he, he, like most young tight ends, he should, should, he models himself after Jason Witten. Now, I don't know who, I don't know who uh, Hooper models himself after, but I just, like I said, I really love Hooper's opportunity. And I would have not have drafted him myself in, in a few leagues if I didn't like what he's going to do this year. And as far as the long-term, the actual dynasty value of these two players, I have to go Henry just because I think he is by far a better player than Hooper will be. Nick, what do you got on Mr. Austin Hooper? Well, you hit the nail on the head. I, I am a jaded Ladarius Green owner, so I really don't ever want Antonio Gates' as backup ever again. I mean, let's face it. When players get old, they lose their speed, and with it, their effectiveness. But Antonio Gates lost his speed like five years ago, but he still keeps plugging away with his 40 time of around 7.8 seconds. And as long as he avoids injury, he might play until he's 50 since he's still productive, even though he can't run. <laughs> but 
you know, even if he does play only another year or two, the quarterback Philip Rivers, he's also getting up there in years, and it wouldn't be hard for me to imagine them both retiring in the same offseason. I mean, their careers have been so intertwined, kind of like a West Coast version of uh, Tony Romo and Jason Witten there in Dallas. Uh, so, you know, if Philip Rivers retires in the next year or two, the whole argument about Philip Rivers and the Chargers feeding the tight ends kind of becomes moot. Whereas in Atlanta, Austin Hooper not only uh, doesn't have an Antonio Gates in front of him, he is one of the few rookie tight ends with a decent chance to start and put up good numbers this uh, first season. Atlanta's been desperate for a quality tight end since Tony Gonzalez retired after the 2013 season. But when Matt Ryan had Tony Gonzalez, he used him. Uh, Gonzalez had over 100 targets every season in Atlanta. So when the Falcons have had tight ends better than guys like Jacob Tammy, they do use them. Plus, this is a team that, behind Julio Jones, is desperate for quality pass catchers. Mohamed Sanu, who you know you and I are kind of high on, but I think we're the minority in the dynasty community. Um, Justin Hardy, who's a big question mark, could be good, could be nothing. We don't really know what we're going to get out of him. Eric Weems, Jacob Tammy. I mean, I would think at the very least... Cooper could, in his rookie year, be a mid-range, like, third-down guy, say uh, third and five, keep Tammy into block, Julio Jones and Sanu are covered deep. You hit Hooper over the middle for seven yards, get a first down. You get five five or six of those scenarios each week, and Hooper's a great PPR play, even as a rookie. I mean, don't count on it, of course. You never want to be trusting a rookie tight end. But, you know, if you're desperate for a year one tight end, Cooper is the way to go 100% of the time. And I even like his future situation better, uh, uh, mostly due to the, the age of the two quarterbacks there. I think Cooper could have better numbers. Even even if he is a lesser talent, he could have better numbers moving forward uh, in years two, three, four. Plus, you know, the fact that he went to Stanford uh, means that he's probably a fairly smart kid. Hopefully that will help him learn an uh, NFL playbook quicker than some rookies. I I get a lot of your points, and Tammy did see Jacob. Tammy did see 82 targets in there, so you know there's a realistic possibility that Hooper sees 50, 60 targets in that offense. Uh, but I think with what the limitations Gates represents, I think maybe even as a rookie hunter, Henry might surprise us because he'll be able to come in in those short yarded situations and block and veer off, veer off and do some things and. Uh, Man, I still love Justin Hardy. I just want to put that out there. I I have to because I'm beholden to him in so many leagues. Uh, but uh, this, you know, this is not very often do we have two pretty solid prospects at the top of a of a tight end class. You know, we usually have one, and so it'll be it'll be interesting to see both of these guys' careers progress because I think they I do believe they're both in very good positions. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, I I'm going to choose the better player. Who I think, excuse me, is the better player. That's why I still still have to choose Henry. Even though I didn't get him in any leagues, I own Hooper in a few, but I would definitely choose Hunter Henry over him. So we'll leave it at that. Um, time for some dynasty trade analysis. Now, if you've heard the show or if this is the first time you're listening, we thank you for joining us. Uh, but we we just like to go over some dynasty trades that we see via Twitter or that I, we see in our league. Just kind of talk them through and kind of – get a basis of kind of where we're coming from. And I'm going to say something here, and I, and I don't want it to sound self-righteous, but me and Nick are in leagues with some pretty crafty individuals, some guys that have been doing this dynasty thing a lot longer than we have. So we, we maybe have a different basis. And just because we don't think player A should yield players B and C, 
doesn't mean you can't try to pull something over on somebody in your league. Certainly, certainly try. I mean, if you're, if we say something that we're totally against, that doesn't mean everybody in the world is going to be that way. So just bear in mind that your league is different from everybody else's. And whether, whether it's an awesome league filled with studs or not, or whether it's a league filled with a bunch of people that you know, and you like taking their money every year, (laughs) that's why we're here for you. So let's, just a dynasty trade analysis. Time for Dynasty Trade Analysis. Okay, Nick. Um, some pretty interesting ones this week. Alan. Robinson and Gio Bernard for Brandon Cooks and David Johnson. What are your thoughts there? Uh, my thoughts are actually I absolutely love both sides of this trade. Uh, I mean, if you're trading for David Johnson, uh, who's expected to be a top five running back this year, we don't know for sure because he's such a small sample size. But that's pretty much what everybody expects from him. Uh, if you're trading for David Johnson, you're in a win-now mode. Uh, whereas if you're t- trading away David Johnson, you're kind of probably building for the future, which getting a, you know, easily top 10, some would say top five dynasty wide receiver in Allen Robinson, uh, you know, you're getting great value in return for your top three, top five running back. Um, you know, plus getting Giovanni Bernard, he's a guy that you can plug in there sometimes as a flex and get you some points. So, you know what, I think this is a win-win. I, it's pretty rare that I say that, but I really cannot find a loser in this trade. Yeah, and um, the first, my first thought on this is it's kind of weird how often do you see a trade and the most veteran player in the trade is maybe the weakest link, and that's Gio Bernard, just because we know he's in a definite timeshare there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're giving up Allen Robinson and Gio, who's, like like Nick said, is a nice PPR filler piece. Um, I think you're getting definitely a downgrade at wide receiver when you get Brandon Cooks back, but you also get David Johnson back. So you're probably more running back. If you're if you're willing to deal Allen Robinson, I would imagine you're probably more running back needy uh, than wide receiver. And you're getting Brandon Cooks, who, like I said, is a definite downgrade, but it's not like it's five or six round downgrade. It's like, you know, you're getting a guy, giving up a guy that's going in the first first round of a startup, and you're getting a guy that's probably going in the third and Brandon Cooks, who is still potentially the wide receiver one there in, in New Orleans. So, yeah, I like the trade, too. Um, it makes a lot of sense with the uh, downgrade at wide receiver, definite downgrade at, at, at running back for the, for, the con, for the contrasting sides here. Um, now, this one is interesting, and I, and I thought I threw it up because I, I threw this one in there because I knew there would be definitely some varying opinions. We already saw some of that as Alan Satterley thought, thought that was thought getting, giving Todd Gurley for this was not very, not very good, but I think, I think maybe think a little bit differently. Todd Gurley for Jarvis Landry, Melvin Gordon, and a 2017 first. What do you think there, Nick? Um, uh, well, I tend to side with uh, Alan Satterley saying this is, uh, I mean, whoever got Gurley for that, that was a great, great trade. I mean, Melvin Gordon, it pretty much if you're getting any sort of value for him at this point, good for you. Uh, Jarvis Landry, yes, he's been a PPR machine, but there are question marks as far as is he going to uh, continue to get as many targets as he has in the last couple of years. And then you're giving up a first-round pick, which I'm not sure if it's expected to be an early or late first-round pick, but really you're getting you know, one of the top two or three running backs, if 
if not the number one rated dynasty running back out there in Todd Gurley. Um, you know, the only question with Gurley is injuries. If he stays healthy, he's going to be a great, great player for many years to come. So, yeah, I, I think whoever got Gurley for this got a great, great trade. Yeah, and I would imagine whoever is giving Gurley is a little, little adverse to uh, to his injury history, maybe just injuries in general. Um, you know, and the, the the key to me here, I think, will be where that first-round pick is a year from now in these rookie drafts because I'm not saying there's six Todd Gurleys in, in the in the draft next year, um, but you know there could be there could be two, there could be three, and we'll see where that where that pick is. I mean, I I really really am ecstatic about that running back class that's coming. So, and hey, Nick, what if Melvin Gordon scores a touchdown this year? I mean, we'll see. But uh, and what if what if San Diego San Diego actually figured some things out, even though they did invest heavy early in the draft on offensive linemen? Um, but uh, I'm not ready to write Melvin Gordon off yet as much as I pound on him. I mean, it's not like he's – I don't think he's ever going to be Todd Gurley. I think that is certainly evident. But uh, if he's a top 20 running back and you're getting potentially another top 20 running back and a guy that's going to help you PPR-wise, I don't think it's that far off. I mean, especially I'd love to know, like, some like the league size on this. Um just because it's, uh, you know, we've talked about our 16-team league quite a bit on some of the leagues where there's multiple copies. But, you know, with that 16-team league, if you're trading, like, even if it's a player or two players and two picks, I mean, that's a lot of pieces to move in a 16-team league where things are so tight. I mean, our 16-team league isn't isn't as active as a lot of the leagues I'm in, Nick, but I think – I think it's because it's the first 16-team league a lot of us have been in, and a lot of people, you know, it's just so tight. I mean, you know how it is. I mean, every week the waivers, there really isn't much out there just because you add that, that extra four teams to the norm, and that's that's a lot of that's a lot of roster spots, a lot less bodies out there. So it'd be interesting to know the size of this league as well. So another Jarvis Landry one here is we have A.J. Green. Jarvis Landry and pick 2.08 for Sammy Watkins, Jeremy Lankford, and pick 1.07. What do you think, Ben? Uh, well, I've got a question for you. Is this a 12-team league? Do you know the size of this league? <laughs> I don't know. The, all okay, these so, ones so I I'll, I'll assume it's a 12-team league and not something yeah. like the FW48 where 1.07 would actually be like a number two overall pick. So assuming it's yeah. a 12-team league, um, I would definitely would side with these uh, person that got A.J. Green and Jarvis Landry in the second-round pick. I mean, Sammy Watkins and A.J. Green, they're, talent-wise, they're very comparable. Um, A.J. Green's a little bit older, but he's in such a better situation with, you know, an established history with uh, production with the quarterback there, Andy Dalton. Um, Jeremy Langford uh, sounds more and more like going to be a running back by committee situation there in Chicago. So, uh, and I think this is a, one of those situations where the guy that traded for Watkins Langford in 1.07 might have uh, gotten a little bit of a case of rookie fever and given up a little too much to move in the draft. That's just my opinion, of course, but I would definitely go with the person that got Green Landry in the second. Yeah, me too. I mean, Watkins is already dinged up and that's already been the story of his young NFL career. Lankford certainly certainly hears footsteps there in uh in Jordan Howard and you know, that is a decent a decent pick. Uh but uh 
yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go with you with AJ and, and Jarvis in the in the second rounder. I mean, you just look at the quality of player and and the what they can give you this year, and you know potentially you're getting you know a a decent backup there at two point zero eight or another, a young rookie quarterback to develop. So, yeah, I like that a lot there. So, um, any any other trades, Nick, that you've seen recently that kind of kind of caught your eye there? Uh, you know what? Off the top of my head, I cannot think of any. Yeah, it is a little bit of a downtime, rookie draft wise. So uh, you never know. You never know how it's uh, how it's going to play out. But this this certainly is. I mean, there's not it's just not as much much pieces flowing now that the rookie the current rookie draft is over and whatnot. So um, I just wanted to get everybody. Ooh, look at that! I am on the clock right now and uh. In an IDP only mock draft, it's just a mock draft, but it's interesting. It's brought on by our friends at PD Wonderland. Uh, I believe that's pdwonderland.com. Uh, they they invited me and Bruce into the fold just to kind of get everybody's thoughts on where where these players uh, should be going. So uh, interesting, some interesting notes here. Just. Three non-linebackers going in the first, um, and Robert Quinn going before Ziggy Ons. It was kind of a big surprise for me. Uh, of course, J.J. Watt, number one, Keegley, Levante David, Navarro Bowman, Telvin Smith, Jamie Collins as 1.06, Bobby Wagner, 1.07, C.J. Mosley with the eighth pick, followed by Khalil Mack, Robert Quinn, Rashard Jones. That was my pick as I had 1.11. Uh, then Malcolm Smith ending out the first round. A uh, little, little, he- little heavy-handed there, Malcolm Smith for me. Aaron Donald to start the second round, followed by a Dan Cannon, Quan Alexander. Then of course Anza, as I talked about. DeAndre Levy, Ryan Chazier, Carlos Dunlap, Derek Johnson, Paul Pluszewski, Eric Kendricks, Miles Jack, and Tyron Matthew close out the second round. So we have to play obviously defensive tackles, defensive ends, as well as linebackers, cornerbacks, and safeties. So that's kind of why you're already seeing some corners come off the board there. But uh, like I said, I just want to get people in the know. Uh, We are fairly deep into this, 10 rounds into this one. So already I have uh, Betty Logan, Jarrell Casey, Everson Griffin, Dion Buchanan, Whitney Marsalis, Kevin Minter, Avery Johnson, Sua Cravens, Malcolm Jenkins, uh, and Richard Jones. So, um, let's see, I need – I got three defensive linemen. Could maybe add another one there. And the interesting thing, Nick, I don't know if you've done any mocks lately, but MLS seems a little messed up with all these rookies are at the top. Kind of kind of screwing things up. So, like, really the best way to filter is by two, 2,015 points, I mean, I guess, and then go from there. But – can't do Walter Thurman as he officially retired today, but um, I don't have a corner, so let's go. Uh, let's go, Logan Ryan, a corner that I love that I never seemed to get my hands on last year. So we'll take our first corner there with the eleventh pick. Any any surprises there from IDP only land for you? Uh, the biggest one to me was uh, the linebacker from Detroit Levy. Uh, missed all of last season. I know he was very productive before last season, but a second round pick on a guy coming off an injury that. Uh, complete season-ending injury, that seems a little high for me just because the linebacker position is pretty deep, I think. I would have not uh, gone that direction. 
Oh, yeah, before Shazier, who's also a guy that's been dinged up, but uh, and before Eric Hendricks, which is interesting, too. And not only did Levy miss all of last season, but I don't think he's even been cleared for, like, contact yet. So uh, there's a lot, a lot to be decided there. So I'm sure I can keep you more – maybe give you a full synopsis of that one. That one's down here by the time we join you. But uh, interesting, interesting, fun things. I would really – I don't know if I would want to, but I – mean, might be interesting to do a full season of just IDP players in one league, but uh, we'll see. Maybe somebody out there will grant that wish sometime. But um, I guess I need 12 people or 11 other people to do that. But uh, I asked Nick to grade my Dynasty Football Factory startup. Uh, Three-round draft kind of happened during our rookie rookie draft season. Excuse me, 30-round draft. Uh, deep league. Offense only 30 rounds, 11 starters. So I, I asked Nick to take a look at it. What do you got for me, bud? Okay, well, um, uh, you had the second overall pick, so and it was a snake draft, so 1.02, 2.11, 3.02, etc. Uh, so you got Odell Beckham, Andrew Luck, T.Y. Hilton, Devontae Freeman, and Adrian Peterson. Uh, round six, you went Devin Funchess, then Larry Fitzgerald, Charles Sims, Michael Crabtree, Jameson Crowder. Uh, round 11, Clive Wolford, Austin Hooper, Andy Dalton, uh, Tyler Irvin, the rookie running back for Houston, and Bilal Powell, Carson Wentz, Terrence Williams, Thomas Duarte, Darius Jackson, a Dallas running back, and Brandon LaFell. Uh, round 21, Max Williams, LeGarrette Blunt, Cole Beasley, Nate Washington, C.J. Fedorowicz, Matt Oziata, uh, Devin Cajuste, uh, Taylor Gabriel, Andrew Hawkins, and Brandon Dowdy. Now, I, I love the first four rounds. Uh, you didn't reach for any of those guys. Uh, Beckham, Luck, Hilton, and Freeman. Uh, you got Andrew Luck three picks after Cam Newton, so you didn't reach and set the market. You let the market fall to you. Uh, and the fact that you paired him with T.Y. Hilton, I absolutely love that. And then Devontae Freeman at pick 4.11, that's a complete steal. But after that, I really don't understand your strategy. Uh, you, you drafted Adrian <laughs> Peterson and Larry Fitzgerald in rounds five and seven. I would think that puts you in a win-now mode. Uh, but then a lot of your other picks are really not sure bets to produce this year. You have zero proven tight ends, uh, and when you took the unproven Devin Funchess in round six, you passed on guys like Kobe Fleener, Julius Thomas, or Zach Ertz. Uh, you know, if you're dead set on going wide receiver, Deshaun Jackson would have been a safer bet for a team that's in a win-now mode. Uh, you did get decent short-term receivers later, though, and I love your quarterback depth. Uh, your running backs are pretty decent, too, especially for this year. Uh, the wide receivers are solid, but, again, you're so risky in the tight end situation. Yeah, you could be great and have, you know, four or five great tight ends in three years, but if you're building for the future, then I don't understand why you're drafting old players in the top ten rounds. Um, I'm going to start off by giving it a C plus. You know, I don't, I don't dislike the team per se. If I were to take over a team like this, uh, an orphan team like this, I would be really excited. But uh, I it just, I don't understand the strategy behind the draft. And it feels like you wasted two picks in the top ten rounds on veterans that won't be around for the rest of, uh, won't be around when the rest of your team is ready to compete. And I do want to give you a chance to defend your draft strategy, and that might change the grade, but. Just just looking at it on paper, I would say C plus. Well, my my strategy, and I and I do think as far as like veteran talent, I think I probably have one of the better teams in this league. We'll see what the what the year brings. Um, I do think guys like Fitzgerald, 
I think I can get two solid years left out of him. And I think I kind of let the draft come to me. Um, if you look at the the rest of this, I mean, rounds four, I was, you know, if I was trying to build with wide receivers like everybody else was, I mean, I was thinking, like, do I need to take a player like Alan Hearns in round four? I mean, that's how much rookies were going. And then, like, I didn't have any running backs left. And I'm like, well, Freeman in the fourth is awesome. And then I got AP in the fifth. I, you know, we keep saying AP's 30 years old, but when he's on the field and actually playing, the guy is still an absolute force. So I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, think two, two or three years from now, I will not be surprised if he's still doing what he's, what he's done his whole career, because I think he's just that solid of a player. And he's actually a player I've never actually owned. So I'm pretty, pretty excited to have uh, Adrian Peterson. Um, I really did want to focus wide receivers, but like I said, anybody, any rookie, any second-year wide receiver, or obviously all the studs went so early. It was so hard to get my hands on people. I know I, know I kind of miffed on the tight end, but I do think very highly of Clive Walford and very happy to get my hands on him. So I think he's going to be good. I think Hooper's – I think Hooper – I could mix and match with Hooper, and I think – I got Max Williams so late. I think he's going to be good, and I think I think Duarte is going to help me out too. So I, um, in terms of you know my wide receiver depth isn't great, but um, you know if I just continue to draft rookie wide receivers as this as this league bores on, I think I think it's going to help fill out. And I think one my kind of my my whole process of this one mistake I think I've made in any of the startups that I've done is. I always tend to go young players. I mean, you look at our our offensive only startup a couple of years ago, Nick. My fourth and fifth round picks were in that league were Andre Ellington and Bishop Sank. So I took some chances in that draft, and I think I just traded both of those guys for like a fourth round pick or something like that, fourth round rookie pick. Um, this year, I got Devontae Freeman and Adrian Peterson. I mean, wow, what a crazy crazy difference and I'm sure you know it was a couple years ago so I'm sure Peterson went way higher and Freeman went way lower because he was he was also a rookie that year but uh I just as a as a whole I think I always go way too young with my startup so I wanted to I didn't want to let that uh, ruin or, or rule my draft because when you draft those young players you're beholden to those young players and I think I have a team that's going to be competitive year one. Even I think we're going to see another one more great year out of Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, look what he did in the, the playoff game last year. I mean, the guy, the guy is just phenomenal, and that's that's late in the season. So I, I still think he's good. He's got good receivers around him. I think I'm going to get two more solid years out of him. And if my team really, really poops the bed this year, I think I got veteran pieces to move to get to get younger players our picks. So I, I and and I can move those to people that really want to really want to compete this year. But I think my team is going to be competitive this year. And another thing about uh, with with uh, building your team, when you get all those young players in, in your rookie draft, you're beholden to those young players. But then you're going to get seven more picks, you know, next year in a rookie draft, and then you got to figure out who to drop. So. You know, maybe if a guy retires, that makes a, makes one more roster move that's easy for you to make. So it, it's nice to have pieces pieces to move or players that, that could potentially be. Because, I mean, Larry Fitzgerald is not going to 
when he when he's done in Arizona, it's not like he's going to go around the league for three or four more teams and try to just try to hold on to something. He's going to be done. So I don't know if I defended myself very well there, Nick. But what do you, what do you think? Does it make a little bit more sense now? A little bit. You made a lot of good points there, enough to maybe bump it from a C plus to a B minus. But I, I still, I mean, those first five rounds that screams the championship this season, and then you, it, the rest of the draft didn't seem to follow that mind that, that mindset. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, with the rest of the draft, I don't see you winning the championship this year, and so then Adrian Peterson is kind of a wasted pick in my mind. And I totally could be wrong. He could have another 2,000-yard season and carry your team to a championship. Devin Funches could have a breakout year. Well, we we don't know. But for right now, I have to say B-minus is the highest I can. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. I think I got some – I don't – I didn't get, like, any young, hot-shot rookies as far as I'm concerned. But I, I do like Tyler Irvin, and I'm – you gotta love the Carson Wentz pick. I mean, obviously, but <laughs> I think. Oh yeah, yeah. I said I loved, I loved your depth at quarterback, Andrew Luck, and then Andy yeah. Dalton in the thirteenth round is a steal. He always overperforms his drafts at the status it seems. And then of course Carson Wentz is your number three quarterback, who's a guy, the only rookie quarterback that I really was in love with this year. So yeah, love you, love your quarterback situation. Mm-hmm. And this, you know. I think, unfortunately, with this being 11 starters in 30 rounds, it's, you know, those last five rounds are just like, who do I take here? You know, <laughs> just like, I mean, at one point I went back to back with Taylor Gabriel and Andrew Hawkins because, hey, maybe one of those guys will be the wide receiver three in Cleveland. Great. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, at least they're still what remotely young. But, uh, yeah, I I think I got – I think I got that, but we'll see. We'll interest, be interesting to follow this team and see how they go. But I think I can, I think I can keep things keep things going. And, and I don't know really know a lot of the rest of the players in this league, but uh, I think I think I can be really be competitive in this because I, like I said, people jumped over young wide receivers way too early. I thought, and not not that that's not a bad strategy, and it just and it, but it kept, there's there is no way I could pass an Adrian Peterson in the fifth especially since uh, I never owned him and maybe I put too much stock in that, but I just thought, well, nobody else wanted running backs. So I guess I'm going to have two great, I'm going to have two top running backs and I got him in rounds four and five. So uh, it's, and I think, I think it certainly did better than uh, what uh, same draft where I took uh, Bishop Sankey and Andre Ellington in those same rounds. So we'll see. I, I've, I've had my startup lumps before and I I'm trying to learn how to, how to do it a little bit better. And, you know, I, I, I watched guys like, uh, Bruce and I know, I know Bill Latin's given my craft a lot of crap this year for drafting a bunch of old guys in a startup too, but we gave Bruce so much crap in DFW 16 for just taking all these older players. It's like his medium age was 30 years old. Oh, guess what? He won the league the first year. So maybe, maybe that's a, Maybe that's uh, something I can maybe try to model myself after. So, um, it's time for best number thirty-seven. Uh, there's only a couple number thirty-sevens in the Hall of Fame. Jimmy Johnson, a cornerback for the San Francisco Forty ers and uh, Doak Walker, who interestingly enough is the only player to ever wear the number 37 for the Detroit Lions. Um, and then, of course, Deion Sanders is in there because he wore 37 at the twilight of his career for Baltimore. But what do you got for us on best number 37, Nick? 
Well, we got a lot of names, actually, for 37. Uh, we'll start with the 2005 rushing champion. Uh, some would say the Madden cover curse victim, Sean Alexander. Uh, he had five straight years over 1,100 yards, and in 2005 had 1,880 yards, joined by 27 touchdowns. Uh, Pat Fisher, a five foot nine hundred seventy pound cornerback, played 17 years and made three Pro Bowls. His 56 interceptions is still good for 18th of all time. Larry Centers only made three Pro Bowls, but he was such a unique player as a pass-receiving fullback for the Cardinals most of his career. 827 catches, almost 6,800 yards. Uh, he played nine of his 14 seasons in Arizona. Uh, next up, Josh, one of your Raiders cornerback, Lester Hayes, went to five straight Pro Bowls from 1980 to 1984. He had 13 interceptions in 1980 alone. Uh, Hayes was a Hall of Fame finalist in 2001 through 2004, but he may have missed his window there. Uh, Carnell Lake also went to five Pro Bowls, playing strong safety and cornerback for Pittsburgh. He only missed seven regular season games over his 12-year career, 10 with Pittsburgh, one one with Jacksonville, and one with uh, Baltimore. Now, not many Hall of Famers only played six seasons in the NFL, and even fewer have only 4,000 yards of offense. But Doak Walker, like you mentioned, was a Pro Bowler in five of six seasons, an All-Pro four of his six years, also was a kicker, and helped Detroit win the 1952 and 1953 NFL championships. Uh, now, we all know Jimmy Johnson, the Cowboys' former head coach, but like you said, uh, there's another Jimmy Johnson who's in the Hall of Fame, played cornerback for San Francisco from 1961 through 1976. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, the cornerback, went to the first of his five Pro Bowls in 1969 at 31 years old and also moved to offense for one year in 1962 when he had over 600 yards and four touchdowns receiving. Uh, Jimmy Johnson, the cornerback, was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1994. Now, I'm probably biased because of my age, but even though he isn't in the Hall of Fame, I couldn't bring myself to rank any of these guys ahead of the two-time Super Bowl champion Rodney Harrison, who may have been one of the last truly feared safeties, back when a safety's main job was to simply separate the wide receiver from the ball before all the new rule changes prohibiting those kinds of hits. Uh, Rodney Harrison toiled away on some not very good San Diego teams for nine years with only two playoff bursts before joining New England for his final, final six seasons. Uh, Harrison stepped up his game for the Patriots in the postseason with seven interceptions and two sacks in his three postseason runs in New England. Now, this is likely one of the most controversial winners. I mean, Doak Walker does have a freaking award named after him. But still, even with only two Pro Bowl appearances, which is crazy to me, I cannot believe Harrison only made two Pro Bowls. But even with that, he is still in my top number 37 of all time. Do you agree, Josh? Did you mention Sean Alexander? Yeah, he was the first name I threw out there. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, uh, um, I, I, yeah. I mean, that's that's a pretty good one. I, I'm I'm probably a little p- more partial to Lester Hayes. How is he not in the Hall of Fame? Seriously. Uh, uh interesting things of note when I was doing some research for this is, I thought that year he um had 13 interceptions. He also led the league with like 273 return yards. I'm like. That's got to be the most all-time in a single season. Nope, not even close. I think uh, uh, Mark uh, – Darren Sharp, excuse me, had three over 370 yards in 2009 on nine interceptions. That's insane to have that many return yards in one year. But anyway, um, Pat Fisher was the guy I was talking about at the top of the show. I almost forgot Pat Fisher. I mean, 5'9", maybe 165 pounds. The historical books say 170, but, I mean, if you saw this guy, you're just like, 
there is he a kicker? I mean, there's no way that guy steps into the NFL football field and intercepts over 50 passes. I mean, the guy was all heart. I absolutely loved watching him play. Uh, Cardinal Lake, certainly another another good guy. Uh, Nate Odoms was quite the player there for uh, uh, the Buffalo Bills during their Super Bowl runs. Larry Centers, if you guys don't, I want to, I seriously want to do a podcast just talking about great fullbacks in history because I feel like this generation, these kids that are in their 20s, just really missed this golden era of football when fullbacks were like the the the, the, the actual you know safety valve, this this huge player in the offense. I mean, Larry Centers had over 100 catches in one year. Can you imagine a fullback having over 100 receptions now? It seems inconceivable. They're barely even on rosters, let alone on the field. Tom Rathman was another guy. But, yeah, Larry was just a a, a pitcher of, of consistency. He was just such a great weapon with any offense that he was a part of. But, uh, yeah, Harrison just was, like you said, a feared player, a player that certainly trans, transformed uh, the game, and you had to be aware of where he was. Otherwise, he was going to – uh, absolutely take your head off. And um, another interesting note, a, a, a current number 37, Sam Shields, is also the active leader for playoff interceptions with six. That's appropriate since he also wears the uh, the number 37. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Lester Hayes, over. if you know a little bit more about him, he was a severe stutterer, and he also has some – some minor mental health issues where when you, when you combine all that stuff, the fact that he was able to go on the NFL field and do what he was able to do was just phenomenal to me. And how was he not in the hall of fame? Seriously, that's ridiculous. But I suppose I concede and give you Rodney Harrison. and you make a fine argument there, with Mr. Harrison. So I totally, totally can see where you're coming from there, even though he is a chart, but uh, uh, yeah, good. The way better number than I anticipated when you, when you looked at it, that was, that was kind of, that caught me off guard. It's interesting how some of those numbers are like, oh. But, yeah, ended up being a fairly decent one. Um, wanted to get people also caught up on two quarterback mocks that I'm doing. Uh, if you haven't done it, even just do a mock sometime if you haven't been in a two-quarterback league. Uh, it's absolutely crazy stuff because um, they just get – quarterbacks get lapped up. It, it's insane. Um because I'm trying to find the thing. And it's not anywhere to be found. There we go. Sorry. Um, Okay. Interestingly enough, we did not have a quarterback go until the 10th pick. Any guesses who that was, Nick? Um, I would guess Cam Newton. Surprisingly, no. Um, it was Russell Wilson, which shocked the hell out of me too. But again, uh, just just a mock. So interesting. Ezekiel Elliott went first overall. Some some. This is I would certainly call this a mock. Um, an expert mock. Some some certainly some crappy some individuals. But uh, so what? Elliott, Antonio Brown, Todd Gurley, Julio Jones, Le'Veon Bell, DeAndre Hopkins. That was me. I got DeAndre Hopkins, even though it was just a mock. David Johnson. Odell Beckham, Allen Robinson, and then Russell Wilson was pick 1.10. Shortly, actually, then the next four picks were, excuse me, next three picks were quarterbacks as it went Cam, Andrew Luck, 
and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, next quarterback off the board, the fifth quarterback off the board. Nick, any guesses? 2.03. Uh, ben Roethlisberger. Uh, close. He was actually the sixth. Uh, got a Blake Bortles fan in in the draft room. Uh, interestingly enough, was the same person that also took Russell Wilson there. So, uh, and then Big Ben was. 2.05. So it's cut up on where the quarterbacks are going here. It's pretty crazy. Um, I took Derek Carr, 2.07, followed by Drew Brees, Seamus Winston, uh, Philip Rivers, 2.12, Kirk Cousins right after that, Eli Manning, 3.03, Tom Brady, 3.04, Carson Palmer, 3.05. It seems so insane to take Carson Palmer 3.05. Uh, Marcus Mariota, that was me, 3.06. Uh, Andy Dalton, 3.08. Matthew Stafford, 3.11. Matt Ryan, 4.2, 4.02. Excuse me. Joe Flacco, 4.04. Um, this is also an IDP league, so I got J.J. Watt, 4.07, which is insanity, even though that was, was a two QB league. Um, Gotten guys like Jarvis Landry in the fifth, Corey Coleman in the sixth. Pretty happy there. I also took Paxton Lynch, 7.06. That's how early you got to take some of these guys. Right right before that, Ryan Fitzpatrick and Alex Smith went. Uh, Mark Sanchez went right after that. Teddy Bridgewater, 6.04. Rock Osweiler, 6.06. So, um I'm going to post a link to this draft page here in the in the uh, podcast right up if you want to check that out. But uh, And I know if you guys have ever heard or played in the Scott Fishbowl, that's usually a, a super flex league where you can start two QBs. You don't have to every week, but some, some leagues you're required to start two QBs. So if you click on where it says two QB update by Josh, uh, you'll be able to, to check out that uh, draft that's still ongoing. And any any other thoughts there on that? That that wild and crazy system there, Nick. Um, one question: Is it a dynasty mock draft or, or a single year mock draft? It is. It is a dynasty mock draft. So that's that. That was kind of, kind of the question I could continue to ask myself too. So you got to certainly got to make a decision. It's like you know, and I can understand the guy looking at you know Bortles versus Roethlisberger. It seems so high to take Bortles, but obviously you want you want longevity. And if you believe in in Bortles, and I know some people do, some people some people think he's just a victim of being being down in games. But he certainly has weapons around him. So uh, yeah, and you know I look at my quarterbacks in that league are Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, and uh, Paxton Lynch. So that's it's it's nice to have. I think, you know, five or six years from now, if this was an actual league, I would like to think that I was relatively happy with with all three of those quarterbacks and being frustrated to make a decision every week, but uh, probably benching the wrong one. But, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting field, and um, I this this idea was brought on to, to Bruce for a bunch of guys that do mocks. Bruce is our mock draft monarch here. I haven't called him that in a while, but – we always have some kind of mock going. Somebody said, hey, let's do a two QB league. And somebody's like, why can't it be full IDP? And Bruce is like, you're right. Why not? So it's, 
Uh, it's always it's always fun and interesting to get people like that involved. And some of these people in this league are people that we play with in DFW 36, DFW 48, that type of thing. So it's always interesting to see kind of how how that thing goes. And the Scott, like I said, the Scott Fishbowl is kind of a the super flex where you can play a quarterback essentially in your um, flex position. So um, any other thoughts there on the the two QB thing, Nick? Um, just knowing that it's a dynasty and not a redraft league, I think uh, getting Marcus Mariota behind guys like Eli Manning and Philip Rivers, who are getting pretty long in the tooth, I think that was a great pick. Yeah, yeah. And it, the, the crazy thing about these type of leagues is where you get the rest of those players, you know. Obviously, this person didn't need to take Ezekiel Elliott first overall, but that was that was the player that he wanted. And I know couple of the guys in this league the help the what brought this on are starting a two QB dynasty so they really wanted to to mock and, and practice it um but uh the crazy thing is with all this quarter with it being so quarterback heavy at the other side see look adrian peterson went 2.11 nick um so <laughs> i got such a great deal um where it knocks the other players down. Like I said, J.J. Watt, boy, 4.07. This is the only format where you're getting a player like Watt. And maybe that's because, the, the you know, the weird thing with MLF having rookies at the top, but that's 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 just grand. And getting, getting guys like Coleman in the sixth, um, I, I really like that. Um, didn't take a, cor- a running back, excuse me, until the eighth round. I took C.J. Anderson. Not super crazy about that, but I'm sure I can back him up with Devontae Booker later. Maybe he reached for Charles Sims at 9.06, but he wanted to get a couple quarterbacks. I got Tyler Eifert in the 10th round. I know he's got all this injury history already and concerns going up to the season, but it's it's crazy how these type of formats knock players down. You know, Bobby Wagner, who's certainly like a, probably like a fifth-round, fourth-round guy going in the ninth. Um, Josh Doxson, a guy that's probably going in that same range, going in the 10th. That's just interesting to see how that uh, – how that really flips the card on some people there. So that is all we have for you today. Like I said, we're going to be gone next week, but we will come back June 15th. Um, we should have some pretty interesting guests for uh, the month of June as we try to try to keep things interesting during our one down month there. So I'm sure we'll have an awesome dynasty dilemma. I don't, I don't need to think about that quite yet. So, uh, well, uh, I'll, I'll keep Nick in the know and we'll, uh, any, any closing thoughts there, Nick? Uh, did we want to hit the ranch or should we save that for next week? Oh gosh, I'm sorry. Let's do Nick's ranch. See, that's why I ask you things like, what did I forget, Nick? How, how did, oh shoot. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is a great rant. We need to do this. I'm sorry. Hit, hit it up. What do you got? Well, now I consider myself to be a somewhat pro-jobs person. I mean, heck, 90% of the time I'll wait in line at a store for a cashier rather than use the automated checkout. Call me old-fashioned, but I believe if a store wants my money, the least they can do is pay somebody to take my money. And that's why I kind of took issue with Devin Hester's comments recently about how the new kickoff rule, where kickoffs, if you, if you have a touchback and you, uh, you get the ball to the 25-yard line, uh, he said it's he said it's like taking jobs away from people. Well, Maybe, but no more so than other safety rules. Uh, for example, Mark Carrier was a safety who lost his job because he couldn't adjust to the new rules regarding hitting defenseless receivers in the head. That's just to name one guy who lost his job due to rule changes. And, you know, when a store replaces a cashier with a machine, they don't add another stalker or butcher. They pay one less person. NFL teams are still going to have 53-man rosters. That's 
same amount of jobs. I mean, should we demand that each team employ a fullback also? Uh, the game is constantly evolving, with or without rule changes. And Devin Hester also said he'd never gotten a concussion returning kicks. But it's about long-term overall statistics. And if they show that more injuries happen on kick returns, and not just to the returner, but blocking at full speed and, you know, running down the field and hitting the blocker at full speed, that's also dangerous. And if overall all 22 players on the field on kickoff returns are at a significantly higher injury risk, then maybe it should be phased out if in the long term we hope to keep this game that we love. Plus, I mean, really, Devin Hester, I hope you're just standing up for the kick return community in general because you're going to be 34 this year, and even if the kickoff rules were the same as they were in 1970, (laughs) your remaining time in the NFL likely is very short. I mean, yes, kickoffs can be exciting, but a few big plays a year isn't worth risking the future viability of NFL football if the research shows that the risks on kickoffs aren't worth it, then it should go. Now, I I should add that I'm really not trying to put Devin Hester, the man, or the player on blast here. The seriousness level of his statement pales in comparison to things that others have said, like when Chris Carter told rookies to have a fall guy in their social circle. And you know what? If, If the NFL Hall of Fame actually inducted the best player at every position, Devin Hester would be a no-brainer inductee. He's probably the best returner of all time. And, you know, given the fact that he is the best kickoff returner of all time probably, he's more entitled to his opinion on this subject than I am. But I, I just really do think that he used a poor choice of words to get his point across. What do you think, Josh? Well, first of all, I think you should not knock on fullbacks. But uh, um You tried to slip that in. I saw that. But anyway, uh, I feel like he does have a point. But I want to – my first question to Devin Hester would be, oh, so you're not getting paid anymore? I bet you he's still getting paid even though he's playing a lot less. He's still getting paid probably a lot more than some of the younger players on that team. So, uh Stepping on the field, I don't. (laughs) And you're in your heightened age. I guess what you get to walk away from this game uh, with quite a quite a bit amount of money. But uh, I mean, I I guess I do feel I do feel his pain. I mean, let's say you know Nick, you're a fry cook. Let's say your restaurant, or let's say you were a fry cook. The restaurant you work at decided they're going to have they're going to go healthy, and we're not going to fry anything unless on request only. So you just have to stand in the back hopefully get paid or maybe, or maybe you get fired. So I, I, I do, I do feel and like feel for that in some aspect. And like you say, you do have a good point meaning that he is maybe the greatest kick returner of all time. That's, that could be a fun dis- debate, but, uh, but I also would love to look at, even if they just look at concussions on kick returns in general, I feel like you see a lot more of those people getting blindsided on those blocks or, players getting blown up on punt returns as opposed to kickoff returns. And they haven't done anything really to punt returns. I mean, I guess I don't know what they can do, you know, not have a punt returner back there and where the ball stops, that's where it stops. But uh, I, I feel like if we really stepped down and separated the punt return versus a kick return, I would think as a whole, just personal and football viewing experience that injuries happen more so on punt returns as opposed to kickoff returns. What do you think? Um, yeah, I definitely see your point there. Um, but uh, again, I, I would have to look at the actual statistics, which I have not done. So I, I have, I have no idea which, which injuries are more frequently 
uh, occurred on. But, but yes, I, I agree with you. Definitely, punt returns probably are, if not if not as dangerous as kickoff returns, pretty close. And you know, it wouldn't surprise me if ten years in the future they maybe just said on fourth down, if you want to give the ball to your opponent forty yards downfield, then that's that's how it is. Maybe maybe that would be a solution. I don't know. Uh, maybe they'll eliminate punters altogether and just say, okay, your quarterback gets to drop back seven steps and throw it as far as he can. <laughs> and where the ball hits, they might have to get a guy out there to replace the divots in the field, but where the ball hits, uh, <laughs> uh, interesting story. And I'm sure we'll talk more about it if, uh, if more rule changes. Go ahead. If that was a rule, do you think Demarcus Russell would still have a job? I mean, he did have a really strong arm. He could just be your punting quarterback type of thing. Uh, Johnny Menzel might have a job. Um, still, no luck for Tim Tebow. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, since we've mentioned Johnny Menzel and Tim Tebow in the same breath, it's probably time to end this thing before we go down. Oh, and Demarcus Russell <laughs> before we go down to the charging waters. <laughs> Uh, we will here. We will be back on the airways in two weeks for you people. We we appreciate you listening, and and those of you that spread the word. Uh, we have some fun and interesting guests lined up for you the month of June. So make sure you tune in on uh, June fifteenth. Always refer to Dynasty Football Warehouse if you need anything. New writers involved. We had a, a guy named Sean. I'm not going to pronounce his last name because I don't know how, but he wrote us article about Dante Moncrief. Uh, I saw that late Sunday night, Monday morning. We're continuing our trading spaces series. A lot a lot more things to come. A few more Debbie reports and whatnot. And of course the great question answered by Jeff Katz every Saturday. So a lot of lot of good things coming coming during the off season. So make sure you stay tuned to that. We uh, we appreciate you listening and have a great day. Nick, see you in two weeks, buddy. Sounds great, Josh. Have a good one. Flying somewhere?